He sees you when oh, you're sleeping. Yeah. He knows Dude, when you're awake. This reading okay? made me super black pilled on Santa. <laughs> <laughs> special Christmas episode of What's Left of Philosophy. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. I am your host, Will, and here with me are my fellow gift givers, if there are any gift givers, Gil. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I didn't even tell them I was going to do the intro like this, so they're a little off guard, but there's Gil, Owen. I'm present. Okay, and Lillian. Merry Christmas, everyone. Amazing. <laughs> Hi, everybody. So this is a surprise episode, as you already know, and we thought that we'd give you all a nice little gift before Christmas by discussing our favorite deconstructionist, Jacques Derrida. For today's episode, we're talking about Derrida's thinkings on the gift. Specifically, we read um, his essay or a series of lectures called Given Time, Volume 1, Counterfeit Money. So Derrida might seem to be a bit off the beaten path for us, but I thought I'd try to set up what he is doing when he's talking about the gift. So his basic premise, if you can say that Derrida has a basic premise, is that all at once, giving a gift seems like the most ordinary thing in the world. And yet, at the very same time, if we look at what it means to give a gift, it seems to be actually quite impossible. What he means by this is, if you are truly giving a gift, if you are truly um, handing something over to someone, you should not expect to receive something in return. He uses the name or the concept economy to describe a sort of circularity, that if you are giving a gift, and this is the way to think about it, if you give a gift and someone gives it right back to you, you didn't really give a gift. If you give a gift and you know, perhaps you've had this experience, you give a gift and someone doesn't seem to be grateful and you get kind of annoyed, it means that you didn't really want to give a gift. You were expecting to get something else. And so Derrida in this text is he's doing a lot of things. And you know, so we could go on the track of him doing a type of phenomenology of the gift, how difficult it is that when one gives a gift, when it appears, it already enters into an economy of exchange, an expectation that you will receive something back. You know, even when parents give gifts, perhaps what they want to receive back is seeing the light of the smile on their kids' faces. You know, that high kind of hokey stuff. And so what I find really interesting in this text, what Derrida's trying to do is, you know, I studied some Derrida with um, Leonard Lawler at Penn State, and he'd always say that people think Derrida's really loose. He's really metaphorical, but there's actually a strict logic, a rigor to it. There's almost an ultra rigor insofar as Derrida is saying if gift is what it actually means, what would it mean for us to give an actual gift? And this leads into rather, some rather radical conclusions that I don't want to jump right into, but basically, you know, he says something along the lines of, for there to be a gift, there would actually have to not appear to be a gift at all. And that seems to be a paradox. 
What I think a broad lesson we can take from this is the idea of what does it mean to give or forgive another person without entering in back into a cycle of exchange, a cycle of debt, a cycle of bartering, et cetera. And so you can actually see Derrida engaging with a type of um, a problem of socialism, of what does it mean to actually receive or give that isn't immediately liquidated into the, the sphere of equivalences, the sphere of, and so what do I get out of? And you know, with that, I think that's enough of an introduction to kind of give us you know, an idea of what Derrida is doing by saying that gift giving all at once seems to be the most ordinary thing in the world, yet it also seems to be the most impossible thing in the world. And perhaps in this episode, I'm going to play the role of trying to defend my boy Derrida and say that he's not just playing semantic games here, that there actually is, is a real ethical political question he is asking. And I'll, I'll say more about that later, but I want to hand it over to you all. So what was your experience with Derrida and giving time? <laughs> what was my experience uh, with it? I found it at once. Listen, I, okay, listen. <laughs> I, as you know, am often kind of hyperbolically hostile to Derrida. <laughs> uh, and, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I, I think that there's a lot going on in his work. And it's not just like, you know, chicanery and not just like goofy postmodern nonsense. And I got to say, it took a couple of pages of this text for me to go like, oh, all right, fine. There might be something here. There, there's a couple of pages where I was like, I don't what know, What was man. that short story? <laughs> yeah, so the, the text begins with like a four-page like little reading of this like one sentence excerpted from a letter from like a 1700s mistress of the king who's like... Secret wife. I give the... Yeah. The secret wife, right, who's like, I give the king all my time and I give the rest to this charity and I wish I could give them all. And he's just like, you probably think this is a simple statement, you idiot. You moron. <laughs> you didn't realize this is the whole secret of the deconstruction of Western metaphysics right here. <laughs> this is like, the temporalization sure, bro, of time so, in it, this one letter. Oh, my God. I mean, he packs a lot into this. It's like there are circles. There is economy. Then he brings up the concept of revolution. And then before you know it, he's like the metaphysics of presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we get into it real yeah. fast. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, Presence a, it's a in short both senses. reading, so it's kind of incredible how fast we get to the history of <laughs> metaphysics here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I did think that, like, you know, after I got through my initial sort of like, all oh, right, we're playing these games, god damn it. Uh, once I got past that, I did find that there was, like, actually some really interesting, like you say, like, problems here. It seems like one of the things that he's trying to get us to think about is just how difficult or impossible it is to get outside of this like logic of calculative rationality, right? Like which does govern and dominate so much of our lives, like, you know, implicitly or explicitly where, you know, there's always got to be an exchange of equivalents and, you know, things are always, you know, marked at their price and bought and sold on the market. And we like to think that sure, maybe that governs like you know my life when I'm out in the public sphere and selling my wa- my labor for a wage but surely interpersonally like between me and the ones that I love I'm not going to be bound by these same rules these same operations and his whole sort of analysis of the gift is like yeah that's much yeah, harder exactly, than you think yeah, it yeah. is maybe impossible yeah like yeah. I think like the the really consequential kernel is that it actually turns out to be really important for us to be able to say that there is something like a gift something outside of exchange Otherwise, we live in a social reality that is entirely and utterly saturated with commodity exchanges, right? And with value as it's 
dictated according to the capitalist economy. And so you can see there are some stakes and stakes with, you know, you can see what's at stake with him wanting to kind of get to the core of what the logic of the gift is, given that it has this importance if we don't want to live in a world that is totally dictated by exchange value. Um, and then it quickly, it quickly gets harder and harder to actually pinpoint like where something like this giving without exchange actually exists, especially when you include not just like material exchange, but things like symbolic exchange, right? Symbolic or the symbolic exchange, profit, yeah. the symbolic restitution, um, the moral economy, right? And how the gift starts circulating inside of a moral economy, the narcissism and the self-congratulatory elements of, uh, uh, of gift giving. I think an easy example is philanthropy. Yeah, exactly. Philanthropy, exactly. Which at some point we're going to have to talk about this episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, in, <laughs> in, in, in which in which Larry David is extremely angry that him and Ted Danson have both given these philanthropic gifts to this like climate marine biology institute, but Ted Danson chose to give his anonymously, but also to tell everybody that he's the anonymous donor. Ted is anonymous. What are you kidding? No, isn't that great? He donated the whole wing. Didn't want anybody to know. And so, uh, yeah, there's a little exchange there that we'll, 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 have to, we'll have to include in which Larry just utterly deconstructs the, the whole philanthropic <laughs> model of the whole philanthropic model of generosity. Well, as he says, he's like, I didn't know it was an option to be anonymous and to tell everyone. You know what? I didn't need the world to know either. Nobody told me that I could be anonymous and tell people. I would have taken that option. OK, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> which is exactly the sort of like impossible condition of the possibility of yeah. the gift that Derrida is talking about. Right? Like, In order for it to actually be a gift, it needs to be With, not like recognized yeah. as a gift, even to me, the giver, not just yeah. from the recipient. Yeah. Right. And that seems actually impossible. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, it turns out when you're wealthy enough in Los Angeles, I guess you can actually just do it. But <laughs> wealth <laughs> is the way you get out of metaphysics. Cool. <laughs> I'm interested in how like you guys went to the we need something outside of exchange value place because I decided to read this text differently because I didn't want to be aggravated. So I bracket bracketed <laughs> real economic problems. Yeah, that's fair. So when I, so when I started reading this chapter after so long, I just decided to like get down with the kind of woo-woo way of talking about the economy that I feel like he's implying. He's like economy in general at the most abstract possible In the etymological level. sense of oikonomia. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, when he talks about Marcel Mauss and that's kind of, I think, where he gets this interest in the gift giving. And Mauss was like, I seem to recall from my like French philosophy reading group in graduate school that like Marcel Mauss really did a number on a whole like generation of continental theorists in France. Yes, um, <laughs> so like we're interested in the gift for this reason, but like all of that stuff that they're drawing on the kind of structuralist um, anthropology stuff, that's not about capitalism like at all, you know? And so right. there it's like at the, at the most abstract sense, what is the economy of True. gift giving and what is it useful for? And so I was finding myself asking, like, actually, what are the stakes of this? Like, why do I need there to be a gift? Because if I think about capitalism and the way that Owen was talking about, like, and what Gil was saying is, like, I totally agree. Like, that does create a motive for me. But I don't feel like that's what's in this text. Like, in the abstract, why do I need there to be gifts? Like, 
in its place, you could just have reciprocity and exchange. It doesn't need to be so zero sum as it is in the way we normally mm. think about it. I think there's a real problem here. I just like I would actually like the problem of whether or not there can be gifts to be like further motivated. Yeah, I like that because it helps, I think, get at there's like a moment where like so so one of the things that you just suggested as an alternative is a really appealing one, right? Reciprocity sounds like nice. It sounds really good, actually. And I think, in fact, in empirical cases, a lot of the time, like, yeah, reciprocity, pretty good. It could, that, could be, that could be good. But, like, the point that he's trying to, to drive home, though, is that, like, even in, like, the reciprocity involved in, like, a gift-giving situation, which we're familiar with this, too, right? Like, I, this is our surprise Christmas episode. We're going to probably end up talking about Christmas, too. This is one of the weird paradoxes or contradictions or aporia of... Christmas as like an institutionalized holiday is that there's these reciprocal obligations. Mm -hmm. They're obligations, right? Like I'm obligated to give gifts to certain people whom I love and whom I have like close ties to. And they're obligated to give these uh, things to me as well. And like once we're dealing now no longer with a free gift or actually something just kind of, you know, given gratis, once we're dealing with sets of reciprocally binding obligations, it just doesn't seem like it's that much of a difference than, say, like doing a purchase or sale, right? It kind of feels like we're we're bound in like a similar kind of logic. This is the same circle. It's contract, right? It's a, it's a different kind of contract, but it's once you're in the territory of contract, you're outside of the territory of the gift. Yeah, they seem mutually exclusive. Yeah. So, like you know, to to make their a little bit less woo woo. So here is what I take to be like the practical issue. Reciprocity is great, but someone with a sort of um a, a Derridian angle might ask, on what terms is that reciprocity being given? Is that reciprocity being freely given on the terms of? And I, I get it, we can get kind of hazy in what the other means, but let's like use a practical example. You know, um, me and Owen um, have talked about before. You know, what are land acknowledgments, especially in Canada? Well, oh, nice, land yeah. acknowledgments seem to be a way of, you know, giving recognition, giving reciprocity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, our listeners are probably immediately hearing the other shoe drop. What's not being given there? And so the very terms of the exchange of the reciprocity is I give you acknowledgement and also I give myself some good conscience because I gave you this free mm -hmm. gift. But what I'm not going to give is this land back. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Derrida, you know, the Derridian question would be, and like, you know, I want to be very clear. So I feel like sometimes we have to move to this. You might think that Derrida is saying there's an absolute contradiction between economy and gift. That's not where he ends up. Where he ends up is saying, you know, he has this line that I can read the full quote, but I'll just say the very end of it, that we have to give economy its chance. He doesn't think that there's any clear way out of getting out of this circle. But we can't be too glib with thinking that we know what it means to have given, that we know mm -hmm. that we have given. And so I actually mm -hmm. think Christmas is like an also a really good example, you know, where all at once there's these obligations to give a gift, you know, and there have been like critiques of like young kids and being like, go give your uncle a hug. Well, it hits different if you have to hug the person <laughs> because of your family member rather than I want to give you a hug. But this is these are all everyday things that he thinks we think we know giving so well, so intimately, so pre-reflectively that we don't actually see the, the manner in which that when the gift appears 
it disappears in this moment of actually it's an obligation. It's not actually a gift. And so what I think he's calling for is an attentiveness into what are the terms under which giving is demanded, how it's understood to be a gift, and how that forecloses sort of um, a radical appreciation or freedom of the other person, the other social group. Yeah, I, I like that because just because he insists that the purity of the gift is something that is exists nowhere. It's very hard to locate, if not impossible to locate, where this kind of pure gift giving is without that element of restitution, without the kind of the moral jouissance that comes with it, or without the element of exchange or whatever. He's not saying that, yeah, so the gift is impossible. So like the practical upshot is that like don't even try to give gifts. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, just get back to get back to exchange. Yeah, get, just peasants. get back to exchanging and, and, and whatever. And trying to yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and he says at the end, and I'm curious what you guys think about this, but he he uses the very Kantian language at the end, right? And he says that the gift is a transcendental illusion. And he yeah. says that we should treat gift giving in a certain way, of course, with all of the caveats that every deconstructionist needs, right? 300 caveats for why it can't just be Kant, <laughs> right? But, the, but like, you know, he says, he says, you know, that we should treat gift giving as a regulative ideal, right? As like, we understand that it's not achievable to extricate gift giving from all of these elements of material, symbolic, moral exchange. And yet we should bear that, almost impossibility in mind and still maintain like like having a kind of non-economic economy you know that we still strive for in a certain way that makes sense yeah i mean in this way like the gift is one of a handful of terms that derrida's work kind of like revolves around as trying to build something like a deconstructive ethos these things that function just like you know and i i shouldn't say just like at the risk of you know, incurring the ire of the Derridians in the audience, or maybe even you will, but just like a regulative a Kantian regulative ideal, something like, you know, the gift is one, but then also hospitality, also forgiveness. And then on, in other places, justice, which nicely ties us to the discussion we were having about Benjamin the other day. Yeah, these things that seem impossible, but which like we really don't want to do without, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, and he can say both of these things. I can show you all of the aporia. I can show you all of the ways in which giving a gift doesn't make sense the moment it happens it seems like it's also the moment that annuls or destroys it and also like i can't not want there to be a gift as a possibility right and so like trying to strive after that in some kind of way as this uh, i don't know maybe impossible task but like maybe that's what ethics requires impossible tasks yeah, mm. yeah. i made that noise because and i was like behold the other <laughs> it's been a while yeah. since I've read some good like the other our obligation is never fulfilled mm -hmm. and right. we cannot achieve it so we, and we try and thus we try in the face of the other see there's right. there's that Levinasian Duridian go situation Moscow, you know? going on mm -hmm. yeah. yeah which yeah. is why we need to do interminable readings of short stories by Baudelaire okay I don't know if that's where my bad conscience takes me but Gloves you know, I, I think it's important to be very clear that you know I am more than open to getting into like your know, critiques of what Derrida is doing here so when I said like there's a rigor to what he's doing there's a strictness you know I think yeah. it's almost overly strict and so Completely. you know there's no getting around I think that you know in Derrida to put this in the most basic terms possible bad conscience or bad faith is ineliminable 
And that, you know, what yes. this gift is supposed to do in the economy is, you know, and I'll read the line. He says, you know, know still what giving wants to say. That's probably the mm -hmm. French vouloir dire. Um, know mm -hmm. how to give. Know how the gift annuls itself. Commit yourself even if commitment is the destruction of the gift by the gift. And so Amazing. he is saying, you know, yeah, great. what he's saying here is something like, know and try to give even in the knowledge that you will never be giving enough, that you will mm -hmm. never yeah. actually achieve the very thing. And so this is actually about a type of vigilance, I think that he is calling for you know, subjects such as us who think we know all too well what giving is, we know all too well forgiveness is, we know all too well what justice is, and we have to try, and yet we also have to understand that because of these binds, we'll never fully bring it into appearance. And so it's really sort of tarrying with this you know, inelimitable negativity in human action. Um, it's almost this powerlessness to bring into being what it, it wants to, which is gift, justice, freedom, those types of things. And I think some, one mm -hmm. might ask, is it kind of pathological to have this type of bad conscience vigilance? We, I think we're very far away from Spinoza's joy, is all I'm saying. Oh, but, God, yeah. <laughs> I know, I was going to say, like, actually, for the philosopher or philosophical mind who, you know, you just, like, want the peace in your brain, this does a number on you. This is very anxiety-inducing. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, yeah. There's a vertigo. Because I, a vertigo. I start thinking of my the, the worst my worst little inclinations and my baser instincts, and I realize I cannot eradicate them. And that is all that mm -hmm. See, I that's why he's a good. That's why he's a good Kantian. But I must right. try. Yeah. It's good superego. Well, okay. Great superego yeah. stuff. And uh, I was going to say, though, like, you know, I, I love that account uh, what you just gave to Will about like that this is actually about at least in certain cases. So like this is one of the questions that I have, like under what conditions or in what cases does this sort of thing apply? Right. I just we've just talked about a couple of other instances of this. Like what kind of thing is it where bad faith is ineliminable? Right. Like coming out of like a kind of Sartrean existentialist tradition, mm -hmm. you kind of feel like, sure, Bad faith sure sucks, right? Like, I'd like to not find myself in bad faith, but good news, I can be authentic. And, you know, there are cases in which or ways in which I can try to, like, be true um, and not fall back into these bad faith kinds of paradoxical, you know, contradictions with myself or, you know, self-deception and so forth. And along comes Derrida and he's like, uh-uh, no. Like at least in certain cases, right? At least when it comes to things like the gift, like forgiveness, like justice, you can't not. You're not gonna. You're not gonna do it right, mm -hmm. such that like, oh, I gave a gift and it was so good <laughs> that I get I, to get I out of this paradox. Justice, right? In there. fact, like yeah. by I'm saying so great that, right? With how I gave that gift, actually, even in the moment where I'm like minimally like implicitly self-congratulatory for having given the gift the way that I did. I'm back in the logic of symbolic exchange and restitution. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a compensation psychologically and symbolically for the act for which I'm congratulating myself for not doing just that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, this is like, I don't know, is it a transcendental structure, right? Like it's not psychologistic. It's not like a frailty or weakness of just human psychology. Like this is something deep about these concepts or something. See, I feel like it's like very Catholic. Like, <laughs> yeah, like the, the only gift you can give is your devotion to God. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to get it back until you die. 
Yeah, but but Catholicism has such a robust like exchange symbolic exchange economy. You know what I mean? Where you like you have your ledger on your on your chest like when you when you when you die and you rise up out of the earth and um Saint you know Peter you can pay you like can you, got the balance exactly sheet. like you can pay what's it called when you pay for like the sins that you've done indulgences indulgences, indulgences. Yeah, the exactly. ones will is supposed to start giving us out soon for our whiteness yeah <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, yeah that's right i'm going to make yeah. you wait for it though like, the yeah. new the new um what did, what what did i call that the new counter reformation yeah, oh, the new right. kind of information. Yeah, yeah. By the way, do you all know? Uh, speaking of that ledger, that balance sheet, do you know that the, the on the one hand we have grace, right? Degrees of grace, which bring you towards salvation. The other, on the other side, the negative, the negative unit is concupiscence. These are degrees of sinful desire. Oh, so it's a question of that. depending on your depending on your version of like a theodicy or your salvific soteriology. Yeah. It might be the case that you need to like do a Bentham like utilitarian addition. <laughs> Of degrees of concupiscence versus degrees of grace to see if you make it into, into heaven or not. Okay, you guys have sufficiently defeated my Catholicism intervention. But hey, listen, I'm for this stuff. <laughs> but I do feel like there is something. I, I just I'll just piggyback on like the last episode that we have. I do feel like there is like something religious about this. I'll just throw this out there yeah, because well, like the only the only yeah. way that you can it's not said explicitly, but if you start asking. Like, in what way could there ever be a gift? Like, surely it's something that is beyond human experience. Like, if that's possible, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's like the ineffable. And I feel like... Well, he, I agree, but he warns at the end. This is where the, the Kantian um, regulative thing comes in, right? He warns at the end. He's like, don't engage in a kind of like faithful, not idolatry, that's not the word he uses, a kind of like, um, I don't know, don't worship the gift giving as this pure, ineffable, unachievable thing. Understand the inherent aporias in it understand it's kind of built-in possibility and like almost give on the basis of that knowledge do you know what i mean like don't don't exclude that knowledge from what from the gift giving and just be like okay i'm just going to pretend i can give the pure gift like screw this like i'm a good person i intend well you know uh don't do right, that okay yeah this is the last thing i'll say about this i just feel like that is like the structure of sin in general like oh, that is nice. like despite the fact cool. that i know that i will sin that, yeah you can't yeah. i am gonna continue to seek salvation and, and yeah. grace i will continue you know what i mean so that makes i sense. think that's, there's a structure of original sin to this except mm -hmm. you know the original sin like look we're, we're not going to talk about the unnecessary the original black sin is to time or language yeah. the original <laughs> sin is western <laughs> metaphysics okay the original yeah. sin is temporality yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah fair enough you know i agree time is violence whatever i mean by that whatever you the listener think i mean by that yes i mean that yeah absolutely well clock time oh, is sure. violence the ecstasies of temporality that's just legit Wait, time this is where we circle. got this right like that everything became violence like uh, time oh, metaphysics I, mean, yeah. big, I think a lot of people were trying to figure out how to make this political and they yeah i think that they decided that <laughs> metaphysics was violence and so when you deconstruct <laughs> the metaphysics out of texts that we all read you're kind of making them non-violent you know what i mean yeah, it's like the no, fake I don't. <laughs> or at least that's what they I've think. I've like literally they're doing. heard papers I'm... like this. I was at a conference yeah. and I remember very well this guy gave a paper and he was just like, in order to have politics at all that isn't violent, we have to like do this thing before all the po politics that breaks apart the metaphysics that makes politics possible or whatever. And I love I, these papers. Yes, and yeah. I remember. Oh my god, you guys. Maybe Gil, so maybe much. Gil will have to edit this out. But Nancy Fraser was in the audience. And she raises her hand after this presentation, and she like just goes, "You know, I feel like I've heard this paper before, and like it just feels kind of 
empty. Like, what do you want me to do about this? <laughs> Blow up my like, 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 I was like, like what did sunglasses you do just fall over her face? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Queen. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Nancy Fraser's yeah, no. gift. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, it certainly gift. can't be the case, right? That it's just like, yeah, well, once we've like thought hard enough about how time sucks, like then you know, solve that violence well, problem. Oh, wait, can we actually some, I guess. Yeah, maybe just stop for a moment. I don't know how much you all want to get into this, but I thought I should just at least raise it. The how deep some of the points that Derrida is trying to make here because it isn't just about our kind of interpersonal gift giving. Like, there's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff that you alluded to it with some uh, like the phenomenology of the gift, uh, Will, but there's some stuff that's like about the way that experience is given to us and the givenness of like reality. And he gets real deep on um, mm-hmm. well, this is where the Heidegger comes in. The Ilya, the yeah, the Well, that's yeah. true. Yeah. The Eskipt. Yeah. yeah. He's obsessed with this German expression. As gift, right? Like, I don't know if Lillian, a resident German expert, wants to get in on the expression, wants to wants to chime in on this expression as yeah. Gift. Let's do some semi-spurious but, but he's uh, like the foreign language etymology. <laughs> it's almost as good as philosophy. Yeah, exactly. It's quasi. I just had a whole conversation yesterday with my dear friend Jesus, who maybe we'll have on the podcast sometime, about how we are suspicious of everyone who in continental philosophy who seems to be able to play with etymology and words in this way. We think it's not real. That people don't surreal. people don't actually learn German and French that well. It's not possible. No. Per, per, permanent skepticism. I don't know. Yeah, Have you most ever met of someone us, that speaks? We're English? just googling a word and looking at what Google says the etymology is, and like, yo, that's really dope. Me, <laughs> me and the Gombin on Google doing etymology. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, as we know, like, yeah. you know, uh, economy is oikonomia, as mm-hmm. we all know, right? And, oikos, uh, oikos and nomos, uh, law and, and nomos, yeah. which. And yeah, that's the law, but also nemain, which is sharing or division, distribution, partage, you know? <laughs> okay. You know? Okay. Right. Right. So right. right. Partage. Le partage. Uh, Le partage. Gil, Gil, Gil is flaming it right now, but I do want to like, you know, again, like, you know, come back and like try to like address a little bit what Owen is saying and okay. like, again, no, defend Derrida just, uh, just, uh, just a Let's little go. bit, just I'm a little bit. I'm on board. Yeah. You know, I'm like, so, okay. Listening. So the etymology the stuff might seem kind of spurious unless you buy into a sort of metaphysical idea that, you know, these words have certain resonances. So when you're doing the punning, you know, look, he makes hash out of present as in present moment and present as a gift like we get it we know that's what he's doing Mm -hmm. but i i think that there is something to him saying that if you really want to understand the structure of the gift understand that you have lost it as soon as you are talking about so what are its laws how do we split it how do we divide it and so it seems to me he's constantly asking something like An ethical uh, vigilance that would attend to go to sort of Owen's question, how experience necessarily hides conditions of violence, conditions um, that actually undo the very thing that we we think that we are accomplishing. And that we, we can very easily lose sight of that. And so even though he's not just talking interpersonally, I think it's a useful example to think of, you know, ideas like, you know, when people are either organizing together or a loving relationship and, you you're thinking, I just want your happiness. And yet if they don't Mm -hmm. give the happiness in the right way, why would you feel hurt? 
You, you, you know, if you right. only, if the only thing you wanted was I want to be there for you, and it turns out actually there are specific terms under which you want that to happen, then that doesn't mean that those terms are necessarily illegitimate. So I don't want to make it seem like Derrida's arguing for anarchy. He's only saying, well, this wasn't unconditional. And so yeah. it allows us to question, so what are the conditions under which we are sharing with one another? A good way of Rather it. than fooling ourselves into believing, no, 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 I know how to give unconditionally. I know how to be in solidarity, you know, simply because, you know, I'm all about abolishing my whiteness and all of that. Like, no, 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 no. All of you people <laughs> talking about doing those things, you want something in return. You want the Rob D'Angelo corporate circuit. You want someone to tell you, you you're good. Or your indulgences that I will be handing out to my favorite white people, you know, <laughs> on, during the Christmas Stay season. Stay tuned, 2022. It's going to be a big year gonna be for, year for some, some of you. white people, for others. <laughs> I, I, I checked three privileges today, my own and two other people's, and I just want to know what nice. I'm going to get for this. Oh, my God. You're, you're going to have to you're wait. Going it's straight to heaven, baby. It's a secret. <laughs> And so, like, I, I want to say, like, one last thing, because this is, the, this, I think, one of, the, one of the strangest things Derrida says here. He does say, gifts do happen, though. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? <laughs> I the thought this was the yeah. whole thing that, you know, they, they don't happen. And so here's my best stab at why he can still say this. Whatever it is, it's mundane, and it definitely isn't, like, world-shattering. But he's saying that you can't actually calculate or anticipate when a gift will happen, and yet, with there, there's always an and yet, and yet we must try to calculate. We must do our mm-hmm. best. And so this isn't, I want to be very clear for the Derrida stands uh, on our audience, the one or two, is that he's not saying that this is not fatalist. This is not, I don't mm-hmm. think, it is about passivity or quiet. It's a vicious circle, yeah. And I think, you know, there, there's something, you know, I find quite real about that, which is that we can be surprised at what we are capable of, even if it's not fully in our control to bring it about. Yeah, and this is, and there are a bunch of lateral concepts that, you know, I think, Gil, you were alluding to this earlier, that there, this isn't just the logic of the gift at stake here, right? Because there's, when I say lateral concept, I mean, one right beside it is like forgiveness, right? Which has the gift in it as well, in which like you ask yourself, you know, does this person deserve forgiveness? And as soon as you ask yourself that question, you've already misunderstood what it means to forgive, right? Because forgiveness nice, yeah. is in a different an economy or non-economic economy, right? It's not meant, it shouldn't be indexed to whether the person deserves to be forgiven or not. If they deserve it, then it isn't forgiveness, right? Then you're inside of a, a very tight moral economy, right? Um, Shit, and so have the, I ever forgiven or given a gift to anybody? I haven't. I I have not. No, but you should strive for it, I guess. I guess I should try. I'm recommitting myself as we speak. So he does this with hospitality. He does it with justice, right? All these different concepts that, like, you actually can never really have them in their purity. We only ever really get approximations of them. And in fact, the deconstructive logic is that there's an aspect of it itself that is self-undermining. Right. Like the most obvious example of this is like democracy, which is supposed to be the power of the people. But if the people choose like anti-democratic conditions of government. Right. Well, then now that means democracy is open to its own. It's inherently open to its own self-destruction. There is, I think, what I find valuable in Derrida is like looking at the internal logic of some of these really, really important ethical and political concepts and just appreciating the extent to which they can be self-undermining not entering into a kind of like nihilistic pessimism on the basis of that, but inscribing that, that those contradictions or those aporias into the way that you approach it. 
I'm into it. I'm with you guys. I was just like, one thing I think is useful about what you guys are saying is I, and this again, this is kind of a sideways direction is I find myself wondering in like such an atomized, alienated culture, like what people think their obligations are to each other. And I have this thought frequently about how we seem to establish bonds with one another, but we don't exactly know if that commits us to like giving anything to them and whether or not we deserve Mm. what we receive from them. (laughs) Um, And it makes it kind of hard to like understand intimacy and the kind of connections in which gift giving would normally happen. And I feel like the way that people compensate for this in a sort of like libertarian vein is like, you know, we're all just like, do you man? Like you, and then I will just like accommodate myself to this. And like, we just kind of give each other the gift of like, do whatever mm-hmm. you know like we're, we're like not going to demand anything from each other because we don't feel like we can but the truth is is that never really happens because it's not even possible like mm-hmm. of course yes. you want something from other yes like other that. people yeah. and it's like the fraying of these social bonds creates this like false sense of like altruism like we're just going to accept everyone as they are it's a total ethical free-for-all honestly as long as you're not like affecting it's me i'm gonna let you do you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, like, I do feel like that's the kind of dominant social ethos. And, like, I, I agree. You know, and, and there's, yeah, yeah. there's just something, like, not right about this. And I've always wondered, like, is it me that can't let go of the idea of, like, getting something back out of this process? Or, like, and I just think it's like, I think, I, so my psychological evaluation is that no, I just seem to be pondering it and saying it explicitly. But other people clearly want things and then they don't get them. And so we all are not able to give gifts because there's no institution for recognizing them as such. And like there's a whole thing going on here. So I think that's totally right. And I think that like that's one of the things that Derrida is like so good about. Show- like you said, like there's got to it seems like there's got to be something wrong with that. And like this is the thing that Derrida is trying to pull apart in his like critique of like the logic of the gift here. So like one of the things that I find like helps make sense of Derrida for me is that what he seems often to be after is showing how there are these like, on the one hand, like necessarily failed, but also like kind of unjustifiable in ethical terms, attempts to determine others by determining their conditions, right? Or determining the conditions under which you're gonna understand me right? Or the way in which you're going to receive what I have to give. And that's actually, I mean, like, this is where, like, you know, now I'll let myself be loose with the language. Like, there is something violent about this, right? To say, like, no, 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 not only am I going to give this to you, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to determine for you how you have to receive it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, in the moment of the gift, like, we we talked earlier about how, like, there are these obvious versions of, like, the gift being, you know, not really a gift where, like, you're obligated to give me something back. Like, that obviously doesn't work, right? But there's, like, a really great moment in the analysis relatively early on where he's, like, if you don't do that, right, if you're trying, if we're trying to avoid that obvious paradox, there's like subtler ways in which you can't escape it too, where like I give you a gift and you know you're not supposed to give me something back for it, which is to say you are obligated now, you have a duty, you, are, you have a necessity, a practical imperative not to respond in certain ways as well, right? Mm. And so we're back in the set of obligations, even in the attempt to not be duty binding or to, to be obligating, and I think that there's something 
almost exactly the same going on in this like libertarian thing that you're describing where it's like, we're all going to just leave each other alone. Of course, that means we all have a ton of duties and obligations to leave each other alone in precisely these ways, right? Where it turns out it isn't just like the free for all, the libertarian utopia that we're promised. It turns out there's a ton of rules, implicit mm -hmm. and explicit, that we're all bound by, even in the gesture whereby we say like, I'm going to let everyone do their own thing. Like, and Derrida's point here is like, of course that's going to fail, right? That's, that's, that's an absurd hope. And like the fact that, you know, to bring it back to the point that you were making, Lillian, like there's something about the atomistic kind of serial nature of this culture that brings us to this place again and again, where like, I think Derrida has something very helpful to say to us, right? Like, if this is where this culture leads, like, don't be surprised that you end up in this like, you know, violent, anarchic, kind of torturous situation because you can't do the thing you think you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And also, I wonder, you know, like Derrida has this like very strange stuff on you know, for there to be an actual gift in the instant, there would also have to be a forgetting that, you know, the yeah. gift was was given. And so here's what the way I would translate something that he's saying, which is, you know, a true gift, if there is any such thing. All at once affirms our bonds and obligations because it's inescapable that I owe something to you. And yet that very moment, not only are you changed by whatever I've given you, but I must also be fundamentally transformed. And so the, re the way I'm cashing that out is the, the forgetting would be I am no longer even the subject that gave. And so this is a way of understanding that, you know, a, a true gift, and let's put it this way, a more healthy sociality would be one in which we can't get out of economy. And by the way, economy for him, like Lillian said, most general abstract concept. He's not talking about the market. He's not talking about capitalism, though he's winking at it. He's like, if you're a Marxist reading this, like, you can kind of see something, right? See, right? I used one. But, I used one phrase where I said use and exchange value. Just like, so that, run know. with that. But he is saying that we cannot get out of an economy of relations. But that doesn't mean that we must furiously hold on to the subjects that we think that we are. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the moment of the gift would actually even change the donor, the one who is mm -hmm. giving, rather than imperiously saying, "Here are the terms of the gift. You will, you will appreciate it how I tell you to appreciate it, but also you will remain the person I know that you are in giving the gift, either through your appreciation or how you live your life." And so he's also, you know, trying to describe, you know, the way that I read him, that you know, even though we can't escape our binds, we can unbind them so that we can reconstitute new relations with one another. But these new relations would have to somehow not carry the baggage or the debt of, of the previous economy that would allow us to be free to be something else with one another. Jubilee. A form of, yeah, a form of jubilee. And I think that it's so interesting the way that we talk about debt and forgiveness in our, in our culture is so strange. Like, let's be like really literal that, you know, there are certain types of debt that when it's forgiven, you still need to pay taxes on the forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> that's not forgiveness then. Like, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what would it mean to, you know, I, so I mean, like this is testing. too ethical of a way of reading Derrida. But, you know, I sometimes think about the idea that we all fuck up and make mistakes. And, you know, for Derrida, if there were truly forgiveness, it wouldn't be premised on the idea of now you must show how sorry you are. 
It would yeah. actually be letting you go so that you can be reinscribed within a new economy of relations. And fuck it, I think that that is actually a really important type of comportment, even if it won't be applicable in every social situation. And I think that is the tension he's drawing out. And it's not a how-to book. It's not saying you must always forgive, but it's saying that if there was really forgiveness, it would transfigure both the one forgiven, but also the one doing the forgiving so that you don't constantly reinscribe the old relations of the economy into the new. Yeah, it's in this context that, like, our institutionalization of gift giving in these Christmas rituals is so perverse. It's so, so like wild and gross. Like I said, I mean, there's just like the, the baseline obligation or like the obligatory character of gift giving as such, right? That like we all have this weird social pressure to like, if you don't give gifts to your, to your loved ones, like for Christmas or birthdays or whatever, everyone's like, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't do that. And then like, you know, then there's like these sets of reciprocal obligations that are binding between people, individuals. And then the whole thing is also bound up because we know, I think on some level, this tension between the supposedly gratuitous, right, you know, like unconditional character of the gift and all these sets of conditions. This is why we have all anxieties, for instance, around like how much is the right amount of money to spend on a gift, <laughs> right? Because if you, if it's too much, you're going to obligate them in some way or you'll have overstated something. Or, mm -hmm. uh, and if it's too little, it shows how much you value them. Right, which is to say that you will have been derelict in your duty to like appreciate properly, you know? And then the whole like meritocratic logic of like the Christmas in particular, oh, yeah. like, you know, the meritocratic logic. Sleepy. Hold up, the meritocratic logic. Can we talk about Santa for a second and how fucked Let's up he is Santa from a different truck Santa. Get him, Owen. Get him. Yeah. Get his ass. So like, like think about, think about what Santa What's does. The deal with Santa. No, so what's he the, brings yeah, me so presents and I give him cookies. What's the problem? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you're lucky, he brings you presents, right? Because Santa has a very discerning way of judging who's deserving of the presents and who is not. Right. Like if think about it. If Derrida's right, and I actually think that. In general, Derrida is right about what the structure of a gift is. When you peel away a lot of the things that may drive readers nuts, I mean, I think that he's right that the, the gift has to be defined by the way it extricates itself from certain kinds of exchange economies, symbolic exchange, material exchange, whatever, right? Think about what Santa does, though, right? Like, for one, think about the material economy, okay? Santa gives rich kids all the best gifts, right? Like, rich kids get ps five. Right. And that, you know, you know what I mean? And then like for some reason, you know, Santa really, really loves people that live in super expensive suburban developments. Right? <laughs> he loves you know what I mean? But actually, but then like, you know, screws over the rest of the world, but also the symbolic economy, like you actually have to like behave well or you get a fucking lump of coal. Right. Like there's this actual like Santa's always of, watching. Think of the moral yeah. economy. Think of the way that... That's right. Exactly. Santa's always watching. The moral it's, economy is stabilized through the institutionalization and internalization of the panopticon. He sees you when oh, you're sleeping. Yeah. He knows Dude, when you're awake. This reading okay? made me super black-pilled on Santa. <laughs> <laughs> like, Santa, Santa is the panopticon. Absolutely. That's right. But you know, what's, what I love about this <laughs> is like, yeah, like, you know, let's fucking get Santa. Let's get him. But also, it's really fascinating that, you know, in you know, certain cultures, Santa is the paradigm of how we are all supposed to understand what the gift is. And the mm -hmm. gift, it turns out, is for those who are deserving. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, and that I mean, that's the paradigmatic the... figure of the gift giver, right? That's our paradigmatic figure of the gift giver, and that paradigmatic figure happens to be, to put it crassly, a fucking asshole who gives like more <laughs> stuff to rich people, punishes people who don't, I don't know, give them enough cookies and Follow milk, their like, rules, yeah, doesn't obey his stupid rules, like yeah. <laughs> Wait, does Santa give more things to rich people, like in principle? Well, no, in in fact, I, 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 I would say, yeah, I would say fact. Fact. Yeah. He, he's doing de facto rather than de jour Santa. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm a little sad about this. To that point, and like and it was very funny. It was very funny that Owen began that little diatribe by being like, "Think about what Santa actually does." Is, <laughs> I mean, it's insane. Uh, also, I want to be very clear know. on this podcast: Santa is real. <laughs> Santa is not just a myth. So we no. are getting after the real concept of Santa. Merry oh, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, he's always trying to impress the meteorologist. You know how on like Christmas Eve they're like, oh, here's like the weather channel will always have uh, oh here's Santa. He's just making his way over like this part of the North Pole. He's making great progress. Like, okay, oh like God. is he just in it for the recognition of how fast he can dole gifts <laughs> out? I mean, I don't know. If I were Santa, I wouldn't let someone track me. But you know, why do Lillian, I need to be Lillian, for that? Lillian, you look so sad. I'm sorry. I... You know, I'm I'm a little crestfallen over this, but I will accept it. We are we do ruthless critique of everything existing. Of everything yeah. existing, including sorry, our boys. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy Christmas, but I mean, but I just, the gift yeah. giving can 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 transform. Santa, like you know that movie. What's that Tim Tim Allen movie? The one. Oh, oh the Santa Claus. Oh, that's a yeah. that's a that's a Stone Cold the classic. The Santa Claus. <laughs> you see, yeah. mm. Claus you see how he becomes uh-huh. better. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. See, Sounds if, like if, a little bit if, of Nomos as well, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but see, if Santa was that Tim Allen, I would be significantly less like doom pilled over Santa's. You know, like Santa's giving role. the gifts to the children allowed him to love again. Exactly, he was transformed wow. by the gift. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lesson in there for all of us. Mm-hmm. Lesson yeah. in there for all of us. I mean, like, <laughs> un- unfortunately, like, I actually think where where Derrida goes rather than you, I mean, it would have been really wonderful to end the episode on that there's a lesson there for all of us, but it actually seems like what Derrida's talking about, if there is to be a gift, that it can only happen in this, you know, paradoxical tension of a disinterested interest. And what I mean by that is, you know, the gift has to be I can't feel like there's something in it for me, but it can't be I'm like a complete robot and I don't I have no care of what I am doing. And so is what I think it is, is is this tension between universality and particularity and the fact that every attempt of gift giving of justice, whatever, you know, we want it to be universal, but it always has to happen within a context that necessarily militates against it. And this is the fundamental structure of our experience, that we are hamstrung in between reaching for more for the universal and yet always having to make decisions, specific economic decisions here and now, which is why you can say that the impossible gift isn't even completely outside economy. It sets the circle going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I think it means. Give economy its chance. And you know, he's really leaning on the idea that the only chance we'll have to actually do it is by actually inscribing it in our language and our actions and words that we know. And the reason we do that is because we're impelled towards this surplus that we can never quite grasp. This is why that episode of Curb is so perfect, right? Because like Larry gives what he thinks is a good gift, but for which he's getting the name recognition, 
right? And then along comes someone else, Ted Danson, who gives a similar gift, but supposedly without the name recognition, which makes it look like a pure, more, more true gift. But then, like, it turns out that's actually impossible. It's fake philanthropy. And it's full anonymity. You know, he actually does doesn't. It isn't a pure anonymity, but in fact, people know who he is. And then by that by that reason, people are like, "Oh, it's an even better gift than the one that has the credit or name attached <laughs> mm-hmm. to it." You know, too many people yeah. don't do things out of the goodness of them. they want the credit. You are number one in my book, Ted. Right, which is to say that like trying to make the trying to instantiate the conditions that would make the gift possible without these apparatic tensions or paradoxes is is like disgusting right like ted danson's like a monster in this moment um, yeah he's a snake yeah mm-hmm. he's a snake what is this bullshit anonymous give me a break anonymous if you're anonymous how come people know about it i told maybe one or two people friends that i didn't think i wanted to have a secret oh really i have a feeling everybody in this room knows yeah and he's like oh i didn't know i didn't know that they would uh that they would like respond like this like, i just like, i just talk- think that the you know the exhibit should be front and center not my not my gift Right. Whereas it's the only thing anyone can talk about is yeah. that he did this great thing by not attaching his name to the, the giving. Right? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is in Derrida's language, like a totally insufficient, like forgetting and not a not sufficient transformation of the giver at all. Like, <laughs> no, quite a bit of retention has happened here. We're all still stuck all with the remembering. And the compensation all is massive. Yeah. The compensation's the best. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind the tax breaks that will come along with it. Yeah, you got to figure. <laughs> well, Damn. I think that this was great. I think we thoroughly got our listeners in the holiday spirit. You go home and try to give a gift. Yeah, try. Try as best yeah. you can. Yeah, go good luck Good luck with your gift kids. giving. Give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with your gift giving. <laughs> you yeah, you Grinch it. asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like this humanizes the Grinch, though. Oh, oh the Grinch but, is yeah. the greatest... The, the Grinch is the absolutely the protagonist, even before his transformation. Yeah. Reasonable he heart got, size. He yeah, back it. when he's cool, and then when he becomes kind of boring at the end. Yeah, you know? it's a it's a real downward arc, if you if you yeah. will. <laughs> but we hope you all it. enjoyed this uh, special episode of on Christmas and gift giving. We all appreciate all that you have given us, <laughs> and we expect nothing in return, but. Since that does do it for us today, I'd like to close by saying new episodes of What's Left of Philosophy come out every two weeks wherever you get your podcasts. Before closing out today, we'd like to give some recognition to some of the people who are supporting the show on Patreon. We couldn't do this without you, and we are so grateful for this. Today's new patrons are Bingus, Lily Hugh, Chris Myers, Gregory Flores, Dennis Sullivan, GF, Ian Luau, Robert Bacon, Elizabeth Picard, Jake Coffey, Ben Horth, Lizzie Crontiris, Martin Spears, Quellian D. Tanner, and Chronicler. And a special shout out to those of you who don't use your real names because that means you get it. But thank you so much. If you too <laughs> like what we're doing and want to support the show, please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash philosophy. Follow us on Twitter at leftofphil. And don't forget to leave us good reviews and comments on your podcast app. With that, thanks for listening and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the holidays. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.